Joining us now is the skipper of the Norfolk Tides, and that is none other than Gary Kendall. Gary, how are you? Yeah, good, Stan. How you doing? I'm doing good, and of course I want to talk uh, Orioles baseball, but I'm wondering where you were when you heard the news 40 years ago yesterday that Thurman Munson had perished in a, an airplane crash. You know what? I was a little kid, and we were, we were playing baseball. Um, you know, it was a summer day in, in Baltimore, and we were playing uh, some pickup baseball when I heard the news. And, of course, you know, news doesn't travel like it did, you know, uh, like it did yeah. does today, you yep. know, so you didn't really get the information like you would on ESPN or something like that. But uh, it was a sad day. It really was. I remember I was in Boulder, Colorado. I was uh, in 1979. I was 20, 27 years old. God, I didn't think I was that old at the time, but I was. <laughs> uh, but it was a uh, pretty shocking news at the time. Yeah. Gary, Playing the Orioles, if I if I that's exactly correct. right. And Bobby Mercer drove in the game. Yeah, Bobby was Mercer was his like I think his best friend on the team, but a tremendously yeah. respected player. It seems to be a push now uh, that that Thurman should be in the Hall of Fame. I I wouldn't have a problem with that. I I tend to believe that if somebody is robbed either through injury or death and the, the tract of their career looked to be Hall of Fame, people would understand that we put him in the Hall of Fame based on what he did and what he projected to do. We'll never know how it would have ended up. Yeah, I think he was a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I do too. Hey, want to talk, want to talk, this has been a big difference for you this year because you had been mm-hmm. at Double A as the manager of the Bay Sox for a good while. What's the biggest difference for you in terms of managing at Double A versus now what you're doing managing at Triple A. Well, your roster changes daily. Uh, usually, I mean, I can't recollect the week where we <laughs> had the same club. Right. Um, and that's not, I'm not saying that as a negative, uh, but it's always a challenge. Uh, it's always a challenge to maybe lose a starter an hour before the game, which has happened frequently this year, and and then uh, you get that phone call once in a while when um, the score's not good in Baltimore. Um, that you have to hold out a couple pitchers that actually are available that night. So there's there's obstacles. Uh, your roster changes a lot, um, and then there's also the player that uh, you know you, you tend. I mean, you manage the game and you manage the team, but you also have to do a lot of talking with your players. Uh, players go up. Um, players, you know, feel they should be maybe in consideration to go up, and they're not. And it affects it affects them. Uh, it's a great deal. Uh, it enhances their life by going up, uh, as far as not only with salary, with insurance, a lot of things. You know, these kids have families. Uh, a lot of them have children, so it affects a lot of things. So uh, these players, uh, um, they have that desire, and, and sometimes you have to uh, mediate a little bit and just get them to understand and get them to play a team concept, yep. uh, which is sometimes you know because this is a numbers game and. You know, to get him to try to get a man over and stuff like that, where that's an easy O for one when you look statistically. If uh, you're talking about a grounder to second, you know, and 
to get them to buy into a team concept. You you get to give them some of the best news of their life, or you also the flip side of it. And one player that immediately comes to mind is a guy I know you're pretty fond of as a player, Cedric Mullins. Yeah. Who, you didn't give him the news that he was going to the majors this year. He made it out no. of spring training, but comes back down a terrible stretch of four or five weeks in the major leagues, and it seems like that that may have swallowed him up for a while, hasn't it? Yeah. You know, it was a tough uh, tough for Cedric here. You know, when he was sent from the Major League Club to, to our club, uh, there were some things that we were trying to focus on, you know, uh, getting on base, stealing bases, you know, not only just defending and running, um, but uh, having his bat profile a little bit more than, you know, a lot of pop-ups and that type of thing. You know, he was a uh, – when I had him in Double A, he was a player that caused a lot of havoc. Yeah, you know, via the bunt, and uh, he was a, kind of a slashing type offensive player, and uh, he just didn't have a good couple of months with us. And uh, the decision was made, you know, right around the break to send him to Double A, and we hoped that, you know, that kind of gets him going a little bit, get some confidence, and get back up here and uh, help our major league club down the road. But that's what we're hoping at a Cedric. Vastly different story. You've seen the hard work uh, that DJ Stewart has put into yeah. getting to the big leagues. He got his opportunity in September under the Duquette regime, cup of coffee, and showed some power. Uh, this year, uh, this organization wanted him to go back down and finish, polish up his development. He ha- uh-huh. he put in the work, put up big numbers at, uh, at Norfolk, comes up up for two weeks and gets hurt and now has to go back down after six weeks on the DL. Your thoughts on DJ? You know, DJ's a grinder. You know, he's a guy that uh, I really liked a lot when he was at A, and then I was fortunate enough to get a chance to have him on our roster here for a little while at the start of the season, and he certainly deserved it. He did everything. Uh, looked to take the extra base with steel bases, aggressive balls in the dirt. It's improved as an outfielder. Um, you know, showed some power. There's a lot of things about his game that uh, really strikes a, a major league club and makes him very appealing. And he did all those things, and he certainly warranted going up. And then, you know, he had the injury, and he's been kind of fighting through it. Yep. Um, he's moving around a little better than he did. And, uh, you know, he's back with us right now. He's getting a wisdom teeth <laughs> pulled, so he wasn't in the lineup last <laughs> night. And I don't know that he'll be in the lineup tonight, but uh, – he certainly makes an impact in our lineup, and uh, we we're hopefully we get him healthy and he can go up and help uh, Brandon and our ball club up there. Hey, tell him that uh, your old friend Stan the Fan mentioned that the old wives' tale, and I'm telling you, when I had my wisdom teeth pulled in about 1976, tea bags in the sockets where they pulled them from, if you put tea bags yeah. in there. It's You're from so- East Baltimore. My mom told me the same thing. Uh, my mom Baltimore. was from East Baltimore. Yes, she was. <laughs> hey, um, one player that kind of benefited from the DJ Stewart injury and also the Dwight Smith injury up here at the big league level was Anthony Santander, uh, yeah. who who I, I thought he was kind of behind the profile of DJ and behind uh, Mountcastle and behind um, Austin Hayes. Uh, but he has looked incredibly solid as a major league player right yeah. now. Surprised to you, or you, you really. thought you I, saw you it? You know, and I'm, I'm not saying you know that it's a slam dunk and yep. I know everything, but it, I always look at a player's tools, and I think when a player shows you these d- 
different tools in the minor leagues. I think when you put them around better players, Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, certainly the major league level is a much more consistent level than AAA. But I think when you put a player that has these tools and has work habits, that I think they, they, they come on better at the major league level. And Tony was a guy that has a lot of tools. He brings a lot to the table. He's got some strength. He's got surprisingly good speed. Yes, he does. I think sometimes, you know, you look at the frame and it's, it's kind of a muscular, you know, type mm-hmm. frame and, and you kind of don't really realize he, he can pick him up and put him down and he's got some power from both sides of the plate. And what has surprised me, because we really never went there um, in the minor leagues with him in center field. Yep. But um, has been his uh, jumps and breaks and how he's closed on balls in center field. And um, said that's, that's that's really refreshing, and he's done a nice job. So let me ask you a question. I started out by asking you the biggest difference between managing a Double A and managing yeah. a Triple A, and we're by the way we're talking with manager Gary Kendall, who's managing the Norfolk Tides this year after several seasons with the Bay Sox at Double A. What's the biggest difference between managing for Dan a Dan Duquette led organization? And a Mike Elias organization is it the is it the desire to have people finish off their development? Is it the desire to work more with some analytical information? What would you say to that? Well, I th- I think as you know, with with Dan and who I've known Dan for quite a while, I think we were heading in that direction. Yeah, I don't know if it would have been as aggressive, mm-hmm. uh, just in my opinion, as it has been. And um, because we're, we're really getting up to speed um, just with what we're doing offensively, what we're doing defensively. And so I think there's been a little bit more aggressive to trying to play catch up to get not only up to the, what the major league standards are when it comes to that, but maybe to even get further advanced. Um, so I think that's been probably the biggest thing, but I, I know that Dan, I mean, we had a, a much smaller version of the analytics department. Sure. We, and there was talk of it, and it was you know we talked about shifting and things like that with our defense, and but um, it's really gone on um, at a much more rapid rate, and which is a good thing, you know. Yep. And you know, it's everything's a tool. Uh, you know, I think there's uh, you know how they used it in scouting, how Mike described it, how they used it, uh, you know, the scouts' knowledge versus you know what the input of the the analysis was, and I think the same thing goes when, you, when you're managing a baseball team. You use it, all these resources, and it gives you so much information. And uh, I just – all information is good information, you know? No question about it. Uh, I want to ask you about two offensive players and a couple pitchers, and then we'll let you, we'll let you get to work for the day. Uh, Austin Hayes. Uh-huh. Um, Injury problems have plagued him these past two seasons. Yeah. I thought once he got behind the injuries or past the injuries, he was going to put up big numbers at AAA. Right now he's struggling, 231 with just five yeah. homers, 16 ribbies, struck out 34 times to six walks, OPB of 275. Is is he pressing because the clock is running, or is that what he thinks I don't know what he thinks, but I, I know what it looks like at times. It, you know, he's over-swinging, trying to do too much. Yep. Uh, you know, there's some situation he comes up with men on base, and I think, you know, he wants to be that guy to, to, to drive him in. And and uh, he's putting the work in. 
and uh, it isn't like he's not trying. Um, there's been games that it looks like, boy, he's ready to snap out of it, uh, where he's driven balls to the opposite way, and, you know, of course, he runs good, and he, he plays a good outfield, and then there's games that, uh, you know, he doesn't uh, repeat good swings, repeat a good approach. So I think it's just been very inconsistent for him, and and that's what the minor leagues is about. So we're just going to keep at it. And I know Butch Davis has put a lot of time in, and uh, and hopefully it starts clicking and uh, he has a strong finish. You've been around this game for a long time, and you know for fans, they can say, oh, that Austin Hayes always hurt. Have yeah. you seen guys that appear to always be hurt for legitimate reasons, but that somehow they sort of grow out of it? I remember Paul Molitor when he first got to the big leagues, was hurt two of the first three seasons, and you you mm-hmm. sort of had that feeling like, ah, he's always hurt, and then he went on to a Hall of Fame career. You know, I don't I don't really recollect so much. I mean, I've seen guys that have that have chronic uh, hamstring issues mm-hmm. and things like that that kind of hamper them throughout their career. But, um, you know, Austin just had really some misfortune. I know Hunter Harvey on our roster has had some misfortune, and hopefully uh, – those things are behind them, and uh, we can we can go on and have healthy big league careers. Uh, one more offensive player, and then a couple pitchers. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle. The numbers to fans and uh, some experts are eye popping. Nineteen homers, three fourteen batting average, three thirty six OPB. I see one hundred and five strikeouts and fourteen yeah. walks. Is that a reason to be concerned, or? Are strikeouts such a part of the game now that that's part and parcel of what you get with a power hitter? You know, we had a talk with Ryan the other day, and, you know, strikeouts are part of the game now, but strikeouts shouldn't be part of his game. Yeah. And that was what we kind of conveyed to him. And it's and really, it's not so much uh, him striking out because his swing is bad or he's striking out because uh, he doesn't have bat speed to catch up to a good heater. Um the strikeouts basically are, are a byproduct of pitch selection. Mm-hmm. And I think at times, you know, he's, he's, he's 22 years old. He's hit third in a triple-A lineup. One of the younger players in the league yep. has not gone through any kind of slump the whole year. I mean, he's might have gone over six, mm-hmm. you know, in a process of two games. But, but he's not, three for, not three for 30 or anything and, like that. And the fact that I we pointed out to him the other day about it is, you know, he's striking out one out of every four at-bats, so what's he do? He's doing a lot of damage when he does put the ball in play. So a lot of it is is, is pitch selection. You know, uh, trying to get better pitches to hit earlier in the camp um, because they're pitching tough. He's not seeing too yeah. many fastballs. You know, they're, they're, it's, it's a lot of good sliders. It's good pitching in this league. Some pitching, to, you know, has been up in the big leagues all year, so they have – a plan of attack against Ryan, and Ryan just needs to persevere and get better pitches to hit, kind of create some better counts for him to hit, and then I think he'll get starting to get some pitches where he'll get comfortable and be able to center more balls. But as far as how he's swinging the bat for, for consistently, I mean, I don't like, I like to beat on a 22-year-old guy who's sitting three, whatever it is, 15, right. 15 19 homers and 65 RBIs. And I do know strikeouts are big in the game today. And and in my opinion, it's kind of disgusting how they don't even bat an eye at it. No. They don't even bat an eye at it anymore. And and to me, I growing up as a kid playing sandlap ball when you struck out, man, it affected you a little bit. 
and that, I'm not near the hitter these guys are. So I, uh, I'd like to see a little bit more uh, balls put in play, and I think that's something he's trying to do. And, and uh, the, But it's about player development. It's a process, you know? The first, uh, the first analytics person the Orioles ever had, uh, I think you'll remember him. Do you remember Eddie Epstein? Yes, I do. I worked with him in San Diego after yep. the Orioles. Uh, Eddie, Eddie was the first one 30 years ago beating my head about a ratio like 105 to 14 that that is not – that's not acceptable. In other words, the 105 isn't as bad, but if it was 50 walks – now right. you got a guy who's showing that he's got some plate discipline and understands the strike zone. Right. Uh, we're talking with Gary Kendall. Gary, just a couple more minutes on some pitchers. Mm-hmm. Keegan Aiken looked like, I'd say around June 1st, he was really going to push to get on the big league club this year. He sort mm-hmm. of seems to have plateaued from a distance. Am I right in that? Well, I, you know, Keegan's uh... – He's been pretty consistent for us most of the year. Uh, he hasn't pitched probably as well as of late, even though I was kind of pleased with his start down in Gwinnett the other day. I just think he had a rough fifth where he walked two guys. But uh, his fastball command, um, you know, last year having him in Bowie, one of the things I liked about him was his ability to pitch in and away, up and down with his fastball, very aggressive, had good riding action. Got a lot of outs with his fastball. He buried his secondary pitches. He wouldn't throw them. He wouldn't throw his changeup. He wouldn't throw his slider. This year, uh, it's been kind of a flip side. Uh, his changeup has been a pitch to get a lot of recontact strikeouts with the changeup against a heavy right-handed lineup. Uh, his breaking ball has got some pretty good finish and bite to it. And his fastball command hasn't been quite as good. And... Uh, with the, sometimes an occasional walk, more walks than he had last year. And uh, deep counts, finishing hitters, and that's kind of what drives him out of ball games in the fifth and sixth innings has been his walks. I mean, his, his amount of pitches, yep. which sometimes create walks. But uh, that's something that he needs to improve on, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with the fact that he's not in the big leagues. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I think is good here is when you know, when Keegan Aiken is ready and Mountcastle is ready, hopefully they go there and they stay there. Yeah. Um, you know, because they are prospects and you don't like to see them. These guys go up and down and, you know, uh, on roster decisions. So uh, there's things he needs to work on. He knows that. and, and But uh, he's putting in his time. I know how closely you watch the the overall organization. You you know about the group of pitchers that are at Bowie. Surprisingly, all of a sudden, one of them – broke free to come up to you at yeah. the AAA level. Bruce Zimmerman, who I think the club picked up in the Atlanta trade, yeah. I think it was. Uh, what do you see out of him? Because he was sensational at Bowie, and he got clobbered his first time, a little better the second time? Yeah, you know, it, and I don't want to make excuses for the guy, but there's a guy that, uh, you know, like you said, he pitched for a little bit with us last year at Bowie. He started this year, and Bowie had a really good, really good, uh, season for them, and then uh, he comes up to us and, and he makes one start, and I really attribute a lot of that to the baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he's played catch with a major league ball before, uh, but when you're out there pitching, not throwing a bullpen, but when you're uh-huh. pitching and you got sweat coming down your arms, and and he just lost kind of feeling for his secondary pitches, and 
And Bruce Zimmerman without his breaking balls and his change-ups uh, is in trouble. And uh, that's kind of what alienated him the other day. And last night, a uh, nice six-inning outing. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I definitely see improvement. I see a guy that's got tremendous pitch ability. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got two different kind of breaking balls. Both of them were effective last night versus lefties. Uh, he's got really good feel for a changeup. He pitches. He kind of reminds me of a Mike Flanagan, Scotty McGregor combination. You know, with the mm-hmm. stash, he kind of reminds me of a young that's, Mike Flanagan. That's then, a pretty. That's a know, pretty good field, combination. Yeah. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Scotty McGregor, and boy, if he could be a blend of those, we got something. And, and but he's got real good feel to pitch. He's a hard worker. He studies. He reads swings. Um, I've just been impressed with Bruce since he came here in that trade. Uh, he's a, he's a nice guy to play behind. He really is because he works good. He works quick. Um, he's a strike thrower. Had a couple walks last night, but uh, you know he's 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 a quality left-hander. The organization has has uh, done something very interesting with two pitchers in particular, and I want to suggest the possibility. And, and maybe you'll tell me with the third pitcher that you are doing that with him. I go way back. Uh, you know, I've been doing talk radio in Baltimore and following the Orioles for a long time. I go back to when Arthur Rhodes was a tremendous starting yeah. pitching prospect. And yeah. I watched him start games, and I got into arguments with Kevin Malone that this is a relief pitcher. You know, that uh-huh. there's no disgrace in a guy being a great relief pitcher in the sixth and sure. seventh innings. Uh, it seems of late they've done that approach with Hunter Harvey and they've done that approach with Dylan Tate, and have you done that same approach with a guy who I think would make an excellent sort of middle-inning guy or, or leverage guy getting the ball to the closer in David Hess? Is there? Uh, how do you decide whether a guy is purely a starter or whether his stuff might and his mindset might play better as a reliever? Well, sometimes it is stuff. You know, when you, when you see a guy that may not have – starter type material where you don't think um, can get you, you know, multiple innings or a second time through the lineup. And then also you look at a guy that, that that's fastball might play a pick up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they're finding out. I mean, not so much in Hunter Harvey because there's a guy that's blessed with a great fastball. But uh, when you look at a David Hess and when you look at a Dylan Tate, I think Dylan last year was low, low mid nineties tops yep. as a starter. And I think sometimes, you know, when you're coming out of the bullpen and you know that you might only have a, a two-inning outing or a one-inning outing or whatever that situation may be, you might be able to rear back and, 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 uh, and give a little bit more velocity. And uh, So sometimes, you know, when you look at that type of guy, David Hess is that type of guy, I think, that can give you a little bit more uh, in, in short spurts instead of spreading it out. So I think when you look at you look at maybe – the, the, what the guy brings to the table, maybe what kind of effort he has in his delivery, uh, which is a lot. You know, I mean, you know, certainly you don't see guys that that are starters that uh, have tremendous amount of effort in their yeah. delivery. You know, there's more rhythm and, and easiness to that delivery. Hey, we appreciate the time. Uh, we know you got more important things to do, uh, but uh, the fans I know up here are fascinated by this rebuild and and how it's progressing. And uh, we thank you for sharing your thoughts. Well, thanks for having me. All right. Uh, We'll talk soon. Gary Kendall. All right.